Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Today's guest is Momo Watt, a British reggae and soul singer, producer and director with a career spanning over 10 years. His music has reached dozens of countries spread over three continents and I must give credit to him and his wife Claudette for giving me the start in front of the camera which has taken me all over the world and enabled me to explore so many different media genres and so I'm really happy to be able to catch up with him and his chosen metaphor which has been a labour of love. In today's episode, we'll discuss Momowat's chosen metaphor, love is a journey. We'll explore what this saying says about us and our relation to love in general. What do we expect from this journey? But more importantly, where is this road leading us to? In this episode, we'll go down a path explored by lovers and poets throughout history, yet without a firm answer. Human nature has always shown a hunger for journeys and tales about the most glorious people. Our species appeared in Africa millions of years ago and has since travelled all around the globe. From the coldest lands to the driest deserts, we have found a way to overcome difficulties and conquer territories. We can also take, as an example, the three monotheistic religions of today, Christianism, Islam and Judaism. All of these were born in the Middle East, but with time, conquests and conversions, these religions can now be identified to the four corners of the earth. Not just with the holy writings, some of the most ancient stories are still known today, such as the Odyssey. In this tale, Odysseus, the hero, is going through an unpredictable and grueling adventure. His story still fascinates and inspires today because we as humans respect characters who have been through hell, only to end up victorious and stronger. In the following audio, Joseph Campbell, writer of the book The Hero with a Thousand Faces, now a reference work for all novelists and screenwriters, talks about why there are so many heroes in mythology. Why are there so many stories of the hero or of heroes in mythology? Well, because that's what's worth writing about. I mean, even in, in uh, popular novel writing, you see, these, the main character is a hero or a heroine. That is to say, someone who has found or achieved or done something beyond the normal range of uh, achievement and experience. A hero probably is someone who has given his life to something bigger than himself or other than himself. Therefore, we can see there is this craving for mankind to experience, to discover, to explore. That is the way we go through life. For life, the end of the journey is always tragic because it will ultimately be death. However, we don't and we can't focus on the destination because if we did, we will always live in the fear and sadness of the full mark getting closer every minute. Life is beautiful because it is fragile. 
Being conscious of our own mortality is what pushes us to do great things, to make the best of the time and resources we have along the road. The same goes for love. Love is exciting, it is thrilling because it never rests. Love is in constant evolution. In a romantic relationship, the first week, the third month and the tenth year don't feel the same. However, love is still present but changes forms, like water can be a liquid, a gas or a solid. The French writer Frédéric Begbider explored this theory in his novel called Love Lasts Three Years. Indeed, a passionate love lasts for three years, but it doesn't have to fade away. Tenderness, desire, affection keeps us together. But another important factor comes into play, common goals. Indeed, love has to be kept alive. It has to keep moving. Love is like a fire. We must stoke it, keep it burning, warm and glowing. If at a standstill, a relationship can become oppressive. The doors and sealed windows of a shared home can stifle our love, like a fire deprived of oxygen. We're looking for love as its research is pushing humanity forward. It was by love for our neighbour that we've improved medicine. It's because we wanted to see our close ones, discover the world, make new friends, that we've developed high-speed trains and planes. It was to communicate with those we love but can't see that we've developed the internet. Jerome started a hashtag, Love Army for Somalia. You can join it. He asked his friends to record two-minute videos about why this mattered and tag their friends, setting off a viral campaign that grew to include tens of thousands of people, among them actor Ben Stiller and athlete Colin Kaepernick. Their GoFundMe campaign raised over $2.4 million in its first 12 days. And in the 85,000 contributions, most of them were under $20, showing that a lot of people giving just a little can change the world. Such a space, love is always expanding. Within its expansion appear new stars, galaxies and planets, peppering lights on a dark screen. Maybe the goal of true love is to never reach it, to always pursue it and to grasp all the benefits we can during our quest. Love transcends time and space, to the point that it could be the key to humanity's greatest challenges, which is depicted in the movie Interstellar. All of this is one little girl's bedroom. Every moment. It's infinitely complex. They have access to infinite time and space, but they're not bound by anything. They can't find a specific place in time they can't communicate. That's why I'm here. I'm going to find a way to tell Murph, just like I found this moment. How, Cooper? Love, Tars, love. It's just like Brand said. My connection with Murph, it is quantifiable. It's the key. What are we here to do? Find out, tell her. The same goes for friendships. Even if it is not romantic, a friendship goes beyond time and space. Let's take, for example, the friends we had in high school or even primary school. Even though we lost touch with some of them, the bonds we've tied in the past are still present. Invisible, maybe fragile, but present. From these times also originate some strong friendships. 
For instance, we all have people we don't meet often anymore because of work, because we've moved out, or for many other reasons, but we know deep down that we'll always be there for each other and that the links we tied are strong enough so distance doesn't do us part. In today's episode, we have the honor to welcome Momo Watt. For more than a decade, he has been sharing message of love and humanism. Through his music and activism, Momo Watt has given a voice to the voiceless. He not only performs all around the world, played in countless festivals, has been number one in various top charts an innumerable number of times. He's also a fervent human rights activist. For example, he has advocated for causes such as the Black Lives Matter movement in his song, A Change Is Gonna Come. In 2022, Momo Watts also spoke up against gun and knife crimes in his song, Serious Situation. Please welcome our guest. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. I can't even think back to when, but the memories of the moments that we had as a team have uh, always been on my mind. So thank you so much for joining us on Metaphorically Speaking. And thank you. Thank you, Delia. It's yes, definitely. It has been a very, very long time since we have spoken or even see each other. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't even tell anyone how long ago it was for the moment, but let's see whether I can try and get the pieces together as to what's been happening, because a lot has happened from then and now. And of course, although the past is very important in everyone's life, the present and the future just bring so many different things to the table. So what's been happening with you? Well, you know, I have come back into the music business very strongly since we had our situation that we used to do together. And I've been concentrating on the Momo Watt machine. And I've had quite a few number one hits, uh, reggae, in the reggae field. And people are looking forward to hearing more and more from me. And I am looking forward also to producing more for the public. So how did this all happen? Well, let me tell you. I came from a group called The Chosen Few. I joined The Chosen Few in the early 80s. I started touring with them and singing and doing all sorts of things with the group. Went over over 10 years on the road. Then I decided to take a break from that. And uh, you know what I started, you know, the TV thing. And I did that for uh, over 13 years. Then one day I was in the studio with Count Prince Miller. Count Prince Miller is a singer MC. He did a track called Mutant, very, very, very popular song in Jamaica. And he was in the studio. And of course, my wife, Claudette, was there as well. And she says to me, look at that. Look, you're much younger than Count. You should be come back to singing. She's asked me that before. And I've always said, no, no, uh, don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood for, for the entertainment business anymore. 
But there was a sudden inspiration when she said it. And on the way back to Bedfordshire from London, I decided, you know what, maybe she's right. So I just made a phone call back to my producer and said, look, I'm coming back. And he says, coming back? Why, are you coming back to the studio? I says, well, not today, but I am actually coming back. I'm actually coming back singing. And he says, are you? <laughs> I said, I said, yes, I have. I said, what, don't you want me to come back? He says, well, if you feel like it. <laughs> I, said, I said, yes, I do feel like it. Uh, and uh, I, and I said to him at the time, and, and I know just the song that I'm going to do, because I've heard this song for many, many years. Every Christmas, this song popped up. And I just could hear that reggae feel in the song. And I thought, okay, driving home for Christmas, I will turn it into a reggae song. And that's what took place. And that was the year 2011, when I actually came back fully into the music business, Delia. And how did it feel to go back into the studio and start singing that song? Did it feel like, yes, I've come home? Yes, it did at first. I felt like, um, here I am, I'm on a new journey just now. And uh, I was feeling, I was feeling good. Until a few months later, I started to recognize that the reggae industry appeared like it was just going around in a circle. It wasn't moving forward as fast as I wished it would. And so there was a little bit of damper there. But then um, I started to concentrate more on not the bad things, but the good things of what I was trying to do. And my music is somewhat a little bit different from your typical reggae music from Yard or reggae music from what has been done in the UK. I sing about love, yeah, love songs, but it is not classed as lover's rock. I call my music reggae with soul because I I believe and I'm told that is the type of singer that I am. I'm a, more of a soulful singer than your typical reggae artist. And I started concentrating on that. And then I started to get some good results. And I thought, okay, I got to keep on because when you come back into the music business, or even when you start the music business, if you just release one tune, that is not enough. People want to hear more and more because you start to be develop some fans, people that like your music, people that appreciate what you're trying to do. And of course, we moved on to the following year. And again, I attacked another song that I loved uh, because I didn't have time to write the song. I just wanted to get out there, do some cover songs, and get the name Momo Watt in the marketplace. And a song I remembered back in the 70s, when I was in, I was actually in Italy at the time, and I heard this beautiful song, an Italian DJ came into the club where I was rehearsing for a show, and he says, guys, you must listen to this song. So he put it on, he put the record on the turntable, and what a beautiful song it was. It was Me and Mrs. Jones by Billy Paul. Oh, yes, that's a classic. Classic. So mm -hmm. I thought, hey, shall I do the song? I love this song. Mm -hmm. I can sing soul. Oh, you know, okay, why not? Why not do a reggae version of it? And that's what we did myself and my producer, Linda Lewis. And again, uh, the, the response from that was just amazing. Um, you know, we kept on and on and on, and we're still moving forward. And what does Claudette think about this now? <laughs> she reminds me all the time that um, <laughs> I'm the one who got you where you are. So don't you ever forget it. 
<laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you would the kind of relationship the two of you have it's always been a nice banter of back and forth and although you know she says it it's there's a, a kind of a playfulness in it although you know she may be serious but there's also from what I remember a nice kind of playfulness about it and I'm so glad that the two of you are still going strong looking at and Claudette's always been the type of person to look at everyone and encourage them to do well in the areas that they you know she feels that they're going right. to do well with she's always been that that type but yeah, anyway well, Mm -hmm. Delia, I tell you something. I call her the D Gestapo. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> because, 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 because Delia, even now, she's sitting right here in my studio, making sure I don't say the wrong things. <laughs> well, it'd be lovely to hear, lovely to hear her voice that, again. That, that, is, that is a Gestapo. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I kind of knew that she would be, because that's just the type of person that she is, you know? She that's has right. a... a deep professionalism of wanting things to be right and of course you know the people she loves she wants to guide them you know and even when I knew her many many years ago I was still relatively young and naive although I thought I knew it all but you know she was always there to give a little bit of guidance but talking yeah. about guidance and uh, relationships I, I of course I, I went on YouTube and I've, I've seen you in action I've listened to a few of your songs, and uh, I have to say that I just fell in love with Together in Negril. Tell oh, us about that song. Together in Negril is, uh, it wasn't supposed to have been released officially. Together in Negril was a surprise song for my next door neighbors, two young English couple, and they were getting married. They came over and asked us, where is the best place in Jamaica to go on holiday? So I said, that's easy. You've got to go to Negril. It's the most beautiful place on earth with 12 miles of golden sand. So you cannot go wrong in Negril. And anyway, they decided to go to Negril. They went one October, came back, and they said to me, oh, we loved it. We loved it so much, we're going to get married next year in Negril. I says, oh, great stuff. Why are you? All right. So um, I'm responsible for that, am I? And I says, yes, you are. We're going, <laughs> to We're going to arrange the wedding right now. And next year, you are invited to come to your wedding, you and Claudette. And I thought, okay, great stuff. So I sat down in my studio and I started thinking, I need to give them a surprise. And this is where the idea came about to write the song. But before I could write the song, I had to know a little bit more about them because you live next door to each other, but there is times when you don't really know your next door neighbors that well. So, of course, I had to find out how long they've known each other and all that sort of stuff. And I asked a question to both of them, and each of them did not know that I was asking the other one, you know, just to get an, an idea of how they were. And they went to school together from primary school. They grew up together. They didn't fall in love at the same time when they were back in primary school or anything like that, but they just liked each other and they talked to each other all the time. And then all of a sudden, one day, they met up and uh, that it was, a, a love affair started. And uh, of course, they started living together. And... Uh, I got all the ammunition that I needed and I wrote the song. And when we got to Jamaica, I arranged it with the DJ, a Jamaican DJ, that somewhere along in the in the wedding, I will sing the song for them. And it was a total surprise. Oh, you should have seen their faces. 
Oh. <laughs> it was a total surprise, you know. And uh, the wife, she was so happy, she turned red. <laughs> she was <laughs> tears came down her eyes of course they're now married you know this was at the reception when i performed mm -hmm. the song and later on in the night i went to the dj to get my backing track because obviously i had to play a backing track and everything and the dj said to me this is a beautiful song when is it coming out mm -hmm. said, oh, coming out <laughs> he said mm -hmm. yes you should release it it would really do well in jamaica i think it will do well everywhere and then I came back and I thought, okay, I thought about it. I spoke to Claudette. I spoke to my producer, Lindell. And, uh, of course, I had to find out from the couple if they didn't mind me um, releasing it to the world. At first, the husband wasn't too sure. He was a little bit, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then I told him I was going to make a video. <laughs> Are you going to be in it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Then he was a bit more, <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I persuaded I persuaded his wife and in the song you hear me say Mashona, Mashona, Mashona her name is Shona you see mm -hmm. and uh, I persuaded Shona to get him to say yes and then finally he did and the song was released and basically I used some of the shots from the wedding and other shots that took place of different weddings in Jamaica and put the, the video together and it's doing very well on, 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 on YouTube. I'm pleased for that. And the song went to number one for the first time in Manchester, um, oh. a local radio station, um, independent radio station in, in, in Manchester. And uh, it stayed at number one for 13 weeks. They just couldn't get it off. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll encourage listeners, if you haven't heard the song together in the grill you can visit youtube where you'll see that wonderful video it's so romantic and beautiful and i'm surprised that the Negril tourism bureau have not snapped it up maybe that's something that uh, you could consider momo yes I, i've been i've been uh, i've been told to um speak to them but um you know sometimes uh, you want to do certain things and then other things gets in the way and uh, never did get around to, to, to approaching the tourist board to say, look, um, this is a song that I believe that you should take on. But, you know, sometimes I don't like to do things myself. I like others to do it for me. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, maybe, so maybe that's the reason why um, nothing has been done yet. I can understand that. And listeners, for your listening pleasure, here's Together in Negrel.
Remember, you chose the metaphor, love is a journey. Why? The reason is quite simple. Um, I'm a singer that sings love songs. And each of us who, who, who's in love, we're on a journey. It's a journey that can go forever, a lifetime. I mean, my love story started many, many years ago, as you know, with Claudette. And that journey is still going on. So definitely, for me, and I'm sure for many, many others, love is definitely a journey. That is why I've chosen that. I love that answer, but I want you to dig a bit deeper because I've known Claudette for so long, but I don't think I've ever asked the question, how did the two of you meet? <laughs> okay. All right. We met when I was a chosen few, like I said, and that was back in the uh, 80s. I think it was the mid-80s. I was performing with chosen few at a place called Podium. Oh, yes. Yeah, back in those days, Podium oh, yes. was a that, that was a place to be. That was the place to be. Yeah. And uh, Chosen Few, we were on stage and doing our thing. And then when we finished now, back in the dressing room, I saw two young ladies at the doorway asking the, the bouncer if they could come in to see me. Well, I didn't know at the time. Then I sort of recognized her because I have seen her before at a friend's party, right? That was probably two years before. And uh, I told him to, to let them in. And she came in and said hello and blah, blah, blah. But apparently, when I was on stage, she said to her friend, I know him. And she says, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pull another <laughs> one. And she says, yes, I do know him. I'll prove it to you. And that is why they came to the dressing room, to prove to her that she yeah. knew me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it just yeah. developed from there. So, I mean, and, and that it, was developed, it, it developed from there. But I tell you something, because I knew her, I offered to, to drive her home and to drive her friend home because they uh, otherwise they would have had to take a taxi. Mm -hmm. So got in the car, the three of us, and got to uh, Acne. And she says to me, this is where I live. Anyway, they both got out. And I thought, okay, all right. I believe we had exchanged some sort of phone number. I think we did. And uh, I, I went about my business. Then at the time, now, I, I used to do a radio show. I used to do a, a, a breakfast show just for the, I used to love doing this breakfast show, you know, and um, she used to listen to the breakfast show. And then one day I invited her to, for, for lunch. And uh, while we were at lunch, <laughs> that's when I found out that she didn't live where she told me she lived. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> I said, ooh, that's naughty. That wasn't nice. That wasn't nice. Yeah, <laughs> very careful. So, yeah, so that, that, that is how we met, Delia. That's how we met, and yes. we've been going. We've been going ever since. You know, she was doing other jobs. She was she she used to sell properties mm -hmm. or let let properties, mm -hmm. and um, I took her out of that to come into my world of my world mm -hmm. of television and uh, and and the music world. You yes. Know? Well, she's proved time and time again, you know, your number one loyal fan and, and person to be with, always looking out for you. So, Mama, what's happening now? What's the future holding for you? What are your plans? My plan is, um, let's say I started my solo career late in life. And my ambition now is to keep producing music after music after music. I've now completed two albums that is out and I'm working on my third album. So before I retire, if I ever do retire, I hope to have at least, at least five to eight albums. <laughs> 
and many, many singles. Performance-wise, I done a performance last Wednesday, which was very good in the city. It was a private event. I love doing these private events, you know, because at the private events, these are people that doesn't necessarily know who I am. So I'm getting new audiences all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're going out there and they're, they're buying my music. And that is a good thing for me. At the same time, Chosen Few is now back on the road. We've never broken up. We just decided to do our own little separate things. Now, uh, one of the, our member, Errol Brown, his name is, not the Errol Brown from the Hot Chocolate, but his namesake, um, he was living in uh, New Jersey. And since last year, he's returned to the UK. So he now lives here in the UK. And that is why the Chosen Few decided that, well, we didn't decide people. The public uh, decided that they wanted to see Chosen Few again. And last October, we did our first show after ooh, 30 years, I believe. Wow. Yeah, we did our first show in Great Yarmouth at a, uh, at a venue, a gig called um, Scamoth. Mm-hmm. And everything went down really, really well. You know, um, we were treated as superstars. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, wow, <laughs> all the way back to this then. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a wonderful and, uh, place to be. Yes, yes. They gave us an award on the night that I have now stick up in my living room wall. Mm-hmm. And we're now doing our second show. We're now rehearsing for, for a few shows. Um, around Europe. Um, the first one is in the UK, in Birmingham, on the 28th of May. And uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be, everything's going to be live. We're not doing no PAs. It's all live with a live band and so forth. And we are looking forward to this first or second show to the public. Um, the first show we did was, if you know, if you know the history of SCA, then you'll know that a lot of white people follow Ska. Mm-hmm. So in Great Yarmouth, you struggle to see a black face in the audience. Mm-hmm. It was packed with skinheads. Wow. I mean, packed, packed, packed. And uh, that was good. But, you know, um, the black audience know the chosen few music. And they are more of a more difficult crowd. So if we can please them, then we know we're back on the right track. I wish you all the best. The only thing you haven't told us is the name of the two tracks that you're going to be releasing soon. Do you okay, have the um, names of those? Well, I have. I currently just released a track. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I went back to a cover song that I loved, uh, a singer that I, I, I loved, who unfortunately has passed. And uh, back in 1979, he did a track called Turn Off the Lights. Mm-hmm. And I've done this in reggae. It's doing quite well. And like I say, I am working on my third album. And I am not 100% sure yet, Delia, which song I'm going to release first. Okay. It might be another Teddy Pendergrass track, right? Which is Somebody Loves You back. Mm -hmm. It might be that one. But what I want to do is I want to choose a song from the album that would represent the album first as a single and then release the album a little bit later on. It will be this year, though. It will okay. be this year. So we're looking at a probably date around about June, July for the album. So how can my listeners keep in touch with you? They, they can visit my website. That's momo, M-O-M-O, iPhone, what, W-A-T-T. And in case you're wondering why I'm called Momo What, that is 
actually my surname, my real name, Mowat, M-O-W-A-T-T. And while we were sitting down deciding what I'm going to call myself on my solo career, I decided, okay, my wife calls me Momo all the time. Mm -hmm. So I thought, all right, let me just put an iPhone there and then what? <laughs> yes, makes sense. Makes <laughs> that, sense. So, so, so there you go again. She's responsible for my solo career, you know. Mm -hmm. So I can't complain. <laughs> oh, well, that's really good, you know, because sometimes we take things, relationships, guidance for granted. So that's I'm right. glad to that's hear right. you say that. That's so, right. Momo, thank you for being with us and sharing your life journey with us. And now I completely un understand why you would choose love is a journey for your metaphor. Thank you and all the best. And thank you, Delia, for your time. And uh, I appreciate it. And uh, take care of yourself. Thank you very much, Momoat, for your unique insight. The tale about your personal journey, both humanly and musically, was an inspiration to us all. You've made love an integral part of your life when love is already a journey in itself. This brings us back to our metaphor, love is a journey. As explored before, love is a journey is referring to an idea of love as an unreachable goal. Indeed, we're looking for true love all our life. The idea of a soul sister, someone who could be the missing part we need to help us finish the puzzle. But this quest can leave us dissatisfied, not only in our relationships, but with the life we're leading. Throughout our life are the everlasting questions. Is that it? Is that what love is supposed to feel like? We feel like love should be a simple, accessible thing because it is represented as such in the media. We want a definition of love, but we also want love to be unique. We're comparing our relationships to those described in novels, movies, poems and songs. But true romanticism isn't about being like Jack and Rose. It is about how it makes you feel inside. When it comes to love and family, love is also a journey. For instance, as a parent, love is given to a child to help them grow up in the best possible way. The role of a parent is to guide their children to give them the best childhood possible, to encourage their hopes and dreams, but also to prepare them for the adult world. Love is a legacy transmitted from generation to generation in order to help the next one to grow. In this case, love is a journey that started with humanity, but will continue eternally. The love from a parent can outlive romantic love and sometimes console us when we've lost our children. The ending scene of the movie Call Me By Your Name by Luca Guagagnino is a great example of how healing a good father-son relationship can be. Right now you may not want to feel anything. Maybe you never wanted to feel anything. And uh, maybe it's not to me you want to speak about these things, but uh, 
feel something you obviously did. Look, you had a beautiful friendship. Maybe more than a friendship. And I envy you. My place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. Love is a feeling that is beyond our understanding. Love can, on some levels, be compared to God. Now, I know the comparison can sound a bit stretched, but stick with me for a second. Religions connect people together through a shared faith, traditions and culture. However, even within the same religion, people have different relations to their creed, for it is a personal and internal journey about inner peace and a connection with something greater than us. The same goes for love. Even though it links people together, each and every single one of us has a different definition of love, for it cannot be clearly explained. It might never be described precisely, but we know we have it in us by the way it feels. Love doesn't have to be comfortingly common or totally unique. Love has to feel right. As the French writer Romain Gary once declared in his novel Light Woman, happiness is a joyful lack of originality, for happiness has nothing to prove. Love is a journey we have to accept. We must be brave enough to embrace the love we feel, so we don't get lost in our quest of searching for a canned true love. An idea which standards have been established by a consumer society, shaping this feeling as a prize we should run after our whole life, like a carrot for a donkey. Even when it comes to feelings, we must keep our mind peaceful and clear. Because, as the rapper Dysais once said, love is a socially authorised madness. <laughs> Love is indeed a journey, but not any journey. Love is the journey we take with no particular destination. We take it for pleasure, for the sake of it. It is a path we must enjoy, because we might not be going anywhere, but we're happy to walk the road together with the one we love. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you, Momoat, for sharing your thoughts with us and for giving us the opportunity to look at love's journeys. Don't forget, if you'd like 
to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk and we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Till then, keep safe. Goodbye.